you're listening to Radio Maria, a Christian voice in your home. We are now continuing with Jesus, the promised Messiah of Judaism, with Roy Shulman. Hi, this is Roy Shulman, and welcome again to Jesus, the promised Messiah of Judaism, the show on Radio Maria that celebrates the Jewish roots of the Catholic Church, or seen the other way around, that celebrates the fulfillment, the full realization of all of the promise of Judaism in the Catholic Church and her sacraments. Well, uh, sometimes I like to tie together what's going on in the Jewish uh, spiritual year and the Catholic spiritual year, and this is a particularly uh, propitious time for doing that. So, um, you know, fasten your seatbelts. This is going to be quite a spin we're going for. But in the course of the last two weeks or so, on the Jewish calendar, we've had the Jewish High Holidays, Rosh Hashanah, Yom Kippur. Now we're in the middle of uh, Sukkot. I'll be talking about those. And on the Catholic calendar, we are in the Ember Days. Today is, in fact, Ember Saturday, the end of this week of uh, Ember Days. And um, I will be talking about the relationship between this autumn Ember Week and the Jewish High Holidays falling in the autumn. And one reason that this is particularly exciting is because the Catholic liturgy for this autumnal Ember Week actually consciously reflects what's going on in the Jewish liturgical calendar, that is the Jewish High Holidays. I'm referring uh, actually to the uh, traditional calendar, the excuse me, the traditional liturgy, the, the Tridentine liturgy, for uh, this Amber Week, and especially today, Amber Saturday, is absolutely saturated with the Jewish roots of the Catholic Church. And since this show is somewhat saturated with the Jewish roots of the Catholic Church, or the Catholic fulfillment of the promise of Judaism, um, I wanted to talk about that today. So, I don't expect what I said to really make sense to you yet. Uh, I suppose my hope is that it'll make sense to you uh, by the end of the show. Um, I think probably the safest way to introduce it is to uh, just read the Mass Liturgy for Amber Saturday in September. It's actually from today's Tridentine Mass. And um, as I go through reading today's Mass readings, you will see how they reference the Jewish High Holidays, which every year are happening around the same time. And then I'll talk a little bit, as time permits, about the transformation of those Jewish High Holidays into their realization in their fulfilled state in the Catholic Church. I feel like I'm already getting a little bit of whiplash from moving so fast, so I'll try to slow down a little bit. First of all, um, I have to give a little bit background. One of the Jewish high holidays that today's Catholic liturgy makes reference to is Yom Kippur. We just had Yom Kippur about, um, let's see, it would be about a week ago. Uh, this year it fell about Thursday, uh, September 16th. And uh, Yom Kippur, I think many of you know, is the Day of Atonement. It is the most fervent day of the Jewish calendar in which the Jews pray all day, 
and uh, traditionally all night the night before, for the forgiveness of their sins. It's also a very strict fast day, um, and Jews are not to take any food or water even from sundown the night before until sundown of that day of Yom Kippur. So Yom Kippur is a you know, 24, 25 hour long continual prayer for God to forgive us our sins. Now, and it falls always around this time of year, the same time of year as Ember Week. So with that background, let me read the collect from today's Tridentine Mass. Almighty and everlasting, excuse me, almighty and everlasting God, who by means of healthful abstinence does heal both minds and bodies, very humbly we entreat thy majesty be appeased by the devout prayer of those who fast and give us help both now and for time to come. Through our Lord Jesus Christ, thy Son, who lives and reigns with thee in the unity of the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. So we see that the collect, which in some sense is one of the introductory prayers of the Mass, makes reference to this um, abstinence, to this fasting, and that this fasting might be pleasing to God. Now, there is fasting associated with the Ember Days, both abstinence and fasting, um, but it's no coincidence that this is also echoing the fast of Yom Kippur, which happens at the same time, because in fact we will go on to the next Mass reading, which is... um, uh the the lesson in, in the um I'm trying to think of what it's called in the Novus Ordo Mass, the epistle reading. Um but in this case it's an Old Testament reading. And uh it's from Leviticus. And I will just read it straight as it w- um was recited in the Mass for today, for Amber Saturday. In those days the Lord spoke to Moses saying On the tenth day of the seventh month shall be the day of atonement. You see, that's Yom Kippur, the day of atonement. It shall be most solemn and shall be called holy, and you shall afflict your souls on that day and shall offer a holocaust to the Lord. You shall do no servile work in the time of this day because it is a day of propitiation that the Lord your God may be merciful unto you. Every soul that is not afflicted on this day shall perish from among his people and every soul that shall do any work the same will I destroy from among his people. You shall do no work therefore on that day it shall be an everlasting ordinance unto you in all your generations and dwellings. It is a Sabbath of rest and you shall afflict your souls beginning on the ninth day of the month from evening until evening you shall celebrate your Sabbaths saith the Lord Almighty. So we see here that the first reading in today's Mass was God's command to observe Yom Kippur. So you see what the Church has done is it has um, sort of adopted and integrated Yom Kippur into the Catholic liturgy. And the day that it chose for that is this Amber Saturday because it falls at the same time of the year and because it is also a day of abstinence and fast, as is Yom Kippur, and just so that this parallelism shouldn't escape notice, the first reading in the Mass is, in fact, God's command to the Jews to celebrate Yom Kippur, which then 
the Catholic Church has kind of absorbed into uh, Ember Saturday. I hope this makes sense. Um, this is a live call-in program, by the way. The number is 866-333-6279. Uh, sometimes when I get a bit carried away, I forget I forget to mention it. So um, in any case, it is a live call-in program, and you're welcome to call at uh, any time with any comments or questions. And um, I will do today what is the normal system, which is around halfway through this program. I will have a short uh, musical break. And um, at that point, if you wish to call, it's a particularly particularly convenient time because that way, coming out of the break, I'll take your calls. Again, the number here is 866-333-6279 or 866-333-MARY, M-A-R-Y. Okay, continuing with today's today's liturgy from the Tridentine Mass. I am not making this up. This really is straight from the traditional Missal for the Mass. Then the gradual, that um, uh, is a prayer in between the readings. Um, it's from Psalm, uh, Psalm 70, uh, the 78th Psalm. Forgive us our sins, O Lord lest they should say at any time among the Gentiles, Where is their God? Help us, O God, our Savior, and for the glory of thy name, O Lord, deliver us. Forgive us our sins, O Lord, lest they should say at any time among the Gentiles, Where is their God? So again, we see the echo of Yom Kippur. The Yom Kippur is the day of the year when the Jews most fervently of the whole year pray for the forgiveness of their sins. And that has been adopted into the Catholic Mass text for today. Then the next collect. Grant unto us, we beseech ye, Almighty God, that fasting from food we may be filled with thy grace, and by abstinence may become stronger than all our enemies. Through our Lord Jesus Christ, thy Son, who lives and reigns with thee in the unity of the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. So again, um, pleading with God that our fasting might make us stronger than all our enemies. And of course, the enemies referred to in this prayer are the um, spiritual enemies of our soul. Fasting and abstinence traditionally, and actually logically, strengthen us against temptation. Because if we're able to withstand the temptation to take a drink of water, or to eat a morsel of food when we're hungry, it'll be that much easier to withstand the temptation to turn on Netflix on at night or, or whatever our temptation might be, to have that third uh, drink after dinner, whatever. So we're actually training ourselves to, to um, successfully fight off temptation by training ourselves to fight off the voice of our flesh, so to speak, asking us to eat and drink. That's uh, simply spiritual warfare, uh, not even 101, but 001. So I started out the show saying that this uh, Amber Week, and especially Amber Saturday, celebrates, it actually celebrates all of the Jewish high holidays, Rosh Hashanah, Yom Kippur, and Sukkot. Now, uh, we've talked about, or I've talked about how we are recalling Yom Kippur today. Um, maybe I'll stick to Yom Kippur to not, not get too confusing. 
uh, if I have time, maybe I'll go back to the other uh, Jewish holidays, which are also commemorated in today's Mass. But sticking with Yom Kippur, I suppose, I will go ahead to the um, epistle reading, which is um, which is really um, screaming out at full voice the transformation of Judaism into the Catholic Church. It's a reading from the letter to the Hebrews. Now, the letter to the Hebrews is called the letter to the Hebrews because it is directed essentially to the Jewish community. And so the letter to the Hebrews revolves quite a bit around the transformation of Judaism into the Catholic Church. So I'll simply read the epistle reading. It's a little bit long, but it's very much in the spirit of what we're talking about. It's from uh, chapter 9 of the letter to the Hebrews. By the way, just as an aside, I am referring to it as the letter to the Hebrews. The church actually does not teach whether it is or is not written by St. Paul. Um, For a long time, sometimes in the Bible, it was referred to as St. Paul's letter to the Hebrews. Um, Now the church is mum, is silent, on who the author of the letter to the Hebrews is. Um, And there there are several contenders besides uh, St. Paul. Anyway, on to Hebrews 9. Brethren, there was a tabernacle made the first, in which were the candlesticks and the table and the setting forth of loaves, which is called the Holy. After the second veil, the tabernacle, which is called the Holy of Holies, having a golden censer and the Ark of the Covenant, excuse me, the Ark of the Testament, covered about on every part with gold, in which was a golden pot that had manna, and the rod of Aaron that had blossomed, and the tables of the Testament. And over it were the cherubims of glory, overshadowing the propitiatory, of which it is not needful to speak now particularly. Now, so the letter to the Hebrews is describing the Ark of the Covenant in the uh, temple in Jerusalem. Notice, by the way, what was in the Ark of the Covenant was some manna from the miraculous production of manna in the wilderness and the uh, tables of the Testament, the tablets of the, um, uh, of, of the, of the Ten Commandments that God had written on uh, Mount Sinai and therefore the direct word of God. Now notice that the tabernacle... Uh, in the temple in Jerusalem, the Ark of the Covenant contained the bread from heaven and the word of God. What is in our tabernacle in the Catholic Church? It's the body, blood, soul, and divinity of Jesus. So it is the miraculous bread from heaven, the true bread from heaven that sustains us in this life, as Jesus described so beautifully in John chapter 6 and the Word of God, because Jesus is, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Remember from the beginning of the um, Gospel according to John. So we have in our tabernacle in every Catholic church the same holiness which was in the Ark of the Covenant in Jerusalem. We have the miraculous bread from heaven, and we have the Word of God even more directly and more powerfully than was in the Ark of the Covenant. 
That's all a little bit of an aside, but I think a very relevant aside. Continuing with um, the reading from today's Mass, from uh, Hebrews 9. Now these things being thus ordered into the first tabernacle, the priests indeed always entered, accomplishing the offices of sacrifices. But into the second, that's the inner Holy of Holies, the high priest entered alone once a year. What day of the year did he enter? This is my commentary. It was Yom Kippur. So again, this is a reference to Yom Kippur. It was the only day of the year when the high priest entered the Holy of Holies. But into the second, the Holy of Holies, the high priest alone entered once a year, not without blood, which he offered for his own and the people's ignorance. The Holy Ghost signifying this, that the way into the holies was not yet made manifest, while the former tabernacle was yet standing which is a parable of the present time, according to which gifts and sacrifices are offered, which cannot, as to the conscience, make him perfect that serves, only in meats and drinks and diverse washings, and justices of the flesh laid on them until the time of correction. But Christ, being come a high priest of the good things to come, by a greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hand, that is, not of this creation, neither by the blood of goats nor of calves, but by his own blood, entered once into the holies, having obtained eternal redemption. Now, I know that that was a mouthful and a brainful, maybe even a soulful, so it's a little bit on the hard side to absorb, but what this reading is doing is is holding up on one hand Yom Kippur, the one day of the year when the high priest entered into the Holy of Holies, to offer up a sacrifice for the remission of sins. And the letter to the Hebrews is saying, this is only a picture of what to, was to come, because the blood he offered and the diverse washings and the meats and the drinks that were offered could not really um, result in the remission of sins. It had to wait until Christ, the true high priest, came. Remember, the Jewish high priests were only kind of a prefigurement of Christ, the true high priest. But Christ, being come a high priest of the good things to come by a greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hand, in other words, not of uh, human origin, but of divine origin, entered once into the Holy of Holies, having obtained eternal redemption. He only had to enter once, and he obtained eternal redemption for all of us through the sacraments. So you see that this reading from the letter of he- to the Hebrews recapitulates, so to speak, Yom Kippur into the true remission of sins that we have in the Catholic Church. Wow, I hope that worked. Um, it's unspeakably, unspeakably beautiful. Then, I haven't even gotten to the Gospel reading. This is such an incredibly rich uh, liturgical day for seeing the connection between uh, Judaism and the Catholic Church because it's what the um, traditional Mass uh, liturgy of today was all about. So we're continuing now with the Gospel, which is according to Luke, chapter 13. Patience. Patience, please. I will take a break soon. (laughs) You can call with questions or comments. So, reading the Gospel reading. At the time, Jesus spoke to the multitude this parable. A certain man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard, 
and he came seeking fruit on it and found none. And he said to the dresser of the vineyard, Behold, for these three years I come seeking fruit on this fig tree, and I find none. Cut it down, therefore, why does it encumber the ground? But he answering said to him, Lord, let it alone this year also, until I dig about it and fertilize it. And if it happily bear, if happily it bear fruit, but if not, then after that shall that, excuse me, then after that thou shalt cut it down. Now, where have we seen this figure of the fig tree before? Or rather, after actually, technically. Remember when Jesus was progressing, was walking from Bethany into Jerusalem in Holy Week, he passed a fig tree that wasn't bearing fruit. And he cursed it and it withered. Now, um, that fig tree was always understood by the church fathers on as being a figure of Judaism that was supposed to be fruitful, was supposed to be leading people closer to God and, and bearing spiritual fruit, but in fact had dried up and essentially withered and it had come to the end of its useful life to be replaced by Christianity. Now, please, I don't want to offend anybody. I'm taking a shortcut, and there's another side to that coin. But um, in a fundamental sense, certainly sacramental Judaism had come to the end of its useful life. So let's go back to this reading. A fig tree, a fig tree which is not bearing fruit. That has to remind us of the other fig tree. And what does the farmer say to the landowner? The landowner wants to cut it down because it's not bearing fruit. And the farmer says, no, 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 no. Let's give it another three years. Let me fertilize it. Um, does he say three years? Yes. Oh, for these three years I come seeking fruit on this fig tree and I find none. And the farmer says, let me fertilize it and maybe it'll bear fruit. And if not, then next year you can cut it down. Now, three years. Behold, for these three years I come seeking fruit on this fig tree, and I find none. How long was Jesus' public ministry? Do I, do I, does anybody up there, out there raise their hand? His public ministry was three years. You could imagine that this is Jesus saying that in the three years of his public ministry, he was hoping, he was hoping to find the spiritual fruit of Judaism. But he didn't. He just found the scribes and the Pharisees and so forth. Um, and then there is this plea to fertilize it and, and give it another year. So I think in this picture of the fig tree, whatever the meaning of the specifics are, the three years, maybe I'm overinterpreting it and maybe not comparing it to the three years of Jesus' public ministry. But in any case, that fig tree, which is not bearing fruit, I think inevitably is a picture of Judaism and a picture of the time of Judaism drawing to a close to be replaced by the church, which is why Holy Mother Church has inserted this gospel into the liturgy of today, which is all about the transformation of the Jewish, you could say, liturgical year into the Catholic liturgical year. So, with that, I, I'm only halfway through the Mass, and there are lots, lots more readings to go here. But um, I think I will uh, take the short musical break that is our want to take about halfway through. 
And again, I'll be inviting callers. The number is 866-333-6279 or 866-333-MARY, Mary. And um, during the musical break, I will be uh, playing a Jewish chant, which is the text of the primary prayer, you could say, of Yom Kippur for the remission of sins for the Jewish people. I guess before I go into the music, I should give you a sense, since the chant is in Hebrew, it's not going to be meaning, very meaningful for us. So, well, the, 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 let me rephrase that. The sound of the voice is, is being sung by a rabbi. It's an old recording, you'll have to forgive the hiss, but it's from the 1920s, and it's very beautifully prayed, so you can hear, you can hear the mournful quality, the pleading quality of the singing. And what he's saying is roughly the following. It's many, many, many verses, but basically it's going as follows. For the sin which we have committed before you under duress or willingly, for the sin which we have committed before you by hard-heartedness, for the sin which we have committed before you inadvertently, for the sin which we have committed before you with an utterance of the lips, for the sin with we, with which we have committed before you, excuse me, for the sin which we have committed before you with immorality, for the sin which we have committed before you openly or secretly, for the sin which we have committed before you with knowledge and with deceit. In other words, it's an examination of conscience, so to speak, of uh, dozens and dozens and dozens of types of sins. And after uh, about each 20 of these sins, there is a refrain, For all these, God of pardon, pardon us, forgive us, atone for us. For all these, God of pardon, pardon us, forgive us, atone for us. So you see that this central prayer of Yom Kippur is a prayer for the remission of sins, for the forgiveness of sins. And with that, let us go to that uh, musical break. And meanwhile, if you wish to call in, the number here is 866-333-6279 or 866-333-MARY, M-A-R-Y. And with that, we will go to the central Jewish prayer of Yom Kippur, it's called the Al Chet. Um, anyway, here goes. Let's go home to see again. There is a fine young man, young 
Okay, I'll I'll bring that now down at the moment because I see we have a caller. And I want to get to the caller in a moment. Uh, I think we'll go out of the show with uh, more of the same um, chant uh, of the Al Chet. But for now, um, are you there, caller? Uh, yeah, yeah. Um, a very interesting music. Uh, I was. Uh, um, is that on YouTube? Uh, yes, it is. Um, every, um, I'm laughing because everything I play is always stolen from YouTube. Um, but it's called the Al-Chet, A-L, new word, C-H-E-T. If you look for it on YouTube, there'll be many, many versions. Go, yes? Go ahead. Hello? I'm on an analog telephone. Sometimes it doesn't interface with digital telephones very well. Okay. Uh, uh, did you have a question or a comment? Yeah, I had a question. It's kind of extraneous, but uh, Joshua cursed Jericho. And uh, is, does that mean that the present city of Jericho is cursed as well? Uh, I guess the short answer is I haven't the foggiest idea. Um, authoritatively, but I, I would doubt it. I would doubt it because he, he, um, he cursed it when it was a pagan city, right? Uh, and, and then it, and then I think the Ark of the Covenant even resided in Jericho for a while, if I'm not mistaken. I could be wrong about that. So I have a feeling the curse was associated, uh, essentially before it was taken over by the Israelites. Uh-huh. Okay. Well, uh, I'm uh, listening to your show here. It's very interesting. Uh, thank you very much. Sure thing. Thanks for calling and thanks for listening. Okay. You're oh, okay. Great. Okay. Well, um, okay. Let me uh, recollect myself a little bit and get back into the stream. Um, I think I will probably only read one more, um, no, I'll read a couple of more prayers from the today's liturgy in the Tridentine Mass that are an echo of um, Yom Kippur. Uh, first of all, the offertory says the following, O Lord, the God of my salvation, I have cried in the day and in the night before thee. Let my prayer come in before thee, O Lord. Now, note it says, I have cried in the day and in the night before thee. And the tradition in Yom Kippur, in um, very religious circles, is in fact to pray through the whole 24 hours, um, including the night before. So one can be forgiven for suspecting that this has a little nod, so to speak, to Yom Kippur. And then... Um, and then... Uh, Let's see. Um, I think that's. I think that's uh, as far as I'm going to go with the liturgy. 
um, the Tridentine liturgy for Ember Saturday, tying it to Yom Kippur. And I want to kind of shift gears a little bit, not really shifting gears, to the fact that uh, the meaningfulness of Yom Kippur came to an end with the coming of Christ and the institution of the church, because uh, okay, this is going to be a, a, a short digression, I hope. The sacramental... Uh, when you read the Old Testament, you'll see that Judaism had a sacramental system, a very serious sacramental system that revolved around animal sacrifice in the temple and ritual purification and a ritual priesthood and the forgiveness of sins through sacrifices offered by the ritual priesthood in the temple, primarily animal sacrifices. Now, all of that um, physically came to an end in 70 AD with the destruction of the temple, but it spiritually came to an end um, with the birth of the church and probably at the crucifixion. And what's extremely interesting is the fact that the... Jewish sacramental system came to an end at the time of Jesus is actually in the Jewish scriptures. It's in the Talmud. The Talmud is um, the Talmud is the compilation of the Jewish oral tradition, um, and uh, I don't have time to go into what the Talmud is, but it's basically it was the understanding of the body of rabbis about Jewish law, Jewish liturgy, Jewish practice, which was written down and has a canonical authority in Judaism that rivals that of the Old Testament itself. So it's extremely interesting to us as Catholics, as all Christians, I would imagine, that the Talmud itself attests to the fact that the ritual Jewish sacramental system for the remission of the sins of the Jewish people ceased to be effective at the time of Jesus, or more particularly at the time of the crucifixion. Um, now, um, uh, okay, I, I'm, I'm not going to read, well, I'll, I'll just read a couple of uh, key passages, but before then, let me set this up. This is, first of all, from the book of the Talmud uh, that's called Rosh Hashanah. Uh, it obviously deals with the Jewish high holidays, and it recounts the fact that every year on Yom Kippur, Yom Kippur, remember, was the only day of the year, the whole year, when the high priest would enter the Holy of Holies to offer sacrifice for the remission of sins of the Jewish nation. It's the only day of the year when anyone would enter the Holy of Holies. It was by far the holiest day of the year. It was the one day that the high priest would enter the Holy of Holies and offer sacrifice for the remission of sins of the entire Jewish nation. Before he entered the Holy of Holies, a scarlet cord would be tied around the entrance of the Holy of Holies. The nation of Israel, so to speak, would be gathered breathless, in front of the entrance of the Holy of Holies, outside of it, of course, eyes fixed on the scarlet thread, because there was a miracle which occurred almost every year, known as the miracle of the scarlet thread or the miracle of the scarlet cord. It's recounted in the Talmud, and it says that every year 
when the high priest would enter the Holy of Holies to offer sacrifice at one day of the year on Yom Kippur for the remission of sins of the Jewish nation, a scarlet cord would be tied around the entryway. The, all the Jewish people would have their eyes fixed on it outside, and if God accepted the sacrifice for the remission of sins of the Jewish nation, that cord would miraculously turn white. The Talmud recounts that this miracle occurred almost every year until about 40 years before the destruction of the temple, at which point it ceased to occur and never occurred again. The destruction of the temple was around 70 AD. 40 years before the destruction of the temple was about 30 AD. It was right about the time of the crucifixion. So the Talmud itself says that the Jewish sacramental animal sacrifice for the remission of sins of the Jewish nation ceased to be accepted by God when Jesus died on the cross and never more afterwards. Because, of course, the entire Jewish sacramental system was at that point replaced by the Catholic Church. The Catholic Church is not a new religion that grew up alongside Judaism. The Catholic Church is the transformation of pre-Messiah Judaism into post-Messiah Judaism. The Catholic Church is the continuation of Judaism after the coming of the Jewish Messiah with the transformation which was always intended by God to come about at the time of the that the Messiah came. We, we as Catholics are essentially participating in post-Messianic Judaism. Anyway, so this and and what's so mind-blowing to me, to most Jewish Catholics, and I, I think probably I would hope to most Catholics, is that even even Judaism attests to this transformation in its account of the miracle of the scarlet thread and the fact that the miracle of the scarlet thread ceased to occur at the time of the crucifixion. So, and this miracle is recounted in both the Talmud, in Rosh Hashanah 31b, um, and in the Zohar. The Zohar being, um, I don't recommend the Zohar to anyone, it's the, it's the, um, fundamental text of uh, Kabbalah, which is is not very healthy stuff. So anyway, um, that is the miracle of the scarlet thread, which proves, so to speak, or it proves is the wrong word, but it, it gives evidence in a Jewish context of the truth of the fact that Judaism was a sacramental system instituted by God intended to be replaced by the sacramental system of the Catholic Church. Now, as long as I'm on that topic, so to speak, um, I had better um, clarify a little bit, because it gets a little bit confusing. One has to, um, one should be aware, I should say, I shouldn't say one has to be aware, that although the sacramental system of Judaism um, basically died in 30 A.D., the, the validity of the sacraments, and even if they didn't die in 30 A.D., they they haven't been performed since 70 A.D. because they required the temple, and the temple was destroyed in 70 A.D. So the sacramental system of Judaism went away. That doesn't mean that the election of the Jews went away. It doesn't mean that there's no longer any meaningfulness to 
uh, Judaism or Jewish identity. And we know this from the letter from uh, St. Paul's letter to the Romans, um, which I unfortunately do not have right in front of me. But he says, essentially, this is Romans 11, around verse 26. Um, Lest you be wise in your own conceits, brethren, I want you to understand this mystery. A hardening has come upon part of Israel until the full number of the Gentiles come in, and so all Israel will be saved. As regards the gospel, they are enemies of God for your sake. But as regards election, they are beloved for the sake of their forefathers, for the gifts and the call of God are irrevocable. Uh, St. Paul repeats this elsewhere in Romans 11, but essentially the special call of the Jews, the special election of the Jews, continues for the sake of their forefathers, even though as regards the gospel, that is, as regards the preaching of Jesus, they are enemies of God, that is, that they've rejected the, uh, the truth of Jesus. Nonetheless, the election continues because the gifts and the call of God are irrevocable. If you don't believe me, just open up uh, the letter to the Romans, uh, chapter 11, near the end, verses 25, 26, 27. And you'll see that what I say is true. So, where to go from here? Um, I think I will uh, go to the last of the Jewish uh, um, high holidays, which is celebrated in the today's liturgy of Ember Saturday, and that is Sukkot. Now, Sukkot appears in the New Testament as the Feast of Booths because Sukkot is just Hebrew for booths. The Jewish Feast of Booths um, are, uh, are, are, are twofold celebration. They are at one and the same time a celebration of... Um, uh, I, I'm, I'm actually looking for my notes here, which I don't have, so I'll have to wing it again. But they're a celebration of the harvest. Amber days are, by the way, a celebration of the harvest. In other words, the reason f- the, why the Catholic Church has the amber days in the fall now is to celebrate, basically give thanksgiving to God for the harvest, for all of the fruits of the earth that he has given us so generously. And in fact, Sukkot, the, the Jewish high holiday that falls at this time of year, is also a, likewise a celebration uh, of thanksgiving to God for the harvest and for all of the gifts he's given. So we have right there, we have a kind of recapitulation of Judaism in the Catholic calendar. Um, but in Judaism, it's got a dual significance. Sukkot is also a remembrance of the exodus from Egypt and the wandering the desert for 40 years. The command of Jews for the Feast of Sukkot, Sukkot last seven days, you'll see that when I read the, um, the uh, Old Testament passage describing the requirement for the observance of Sukkot, um, the Jews are required not to live under a roof, but to live in a booth, a tent-like structure that doesn't have a roof, can have branches across the top, but no no fixed roof. 
as a commemoration of the 40 years when the Jews were crossing the desert and they lived in tents and didn't have any fixed abode. We see the Feast of Booths. The Feast of Booths is one of the three pilgrimage uh, holidays on the Jewish calendar where Jews were required to go to Jerusalem. And we see it appear in the New Testament in uh, John chapter 7. Uh, it's called there in this translation, I have the Feast of Tabernacles. It can be called in English the Feast of Booths or the Feast of Tabernacles. So I'll read that passage, or a few verses from that passage, just so you see I'm not making this up. After this, Jesus went about in Galilee. He would not go about in Judea because the Jews sought to kill him. Now the Jews' Feast of Tabernacles was at hand. So his brother said to him, Leave here and go to Judea, that your disciples may see the works you are doing. For no man works in secret if he seeks to be known openly. If you do these things, show yourself to the world, for even his brothers do not believe in him. By the way, the brothers um, in Hebrew refers to male kinsmen. They don't have to be blood brothers if they're cousins and so forth. The same word is used. And as a matter of fact, we see the proof of this in Genesis because Lot is referred to as Abraham's brother, whereas in the genealogy, it's clear that he's his cousin. Anyway. Back to John 7. Jesus said to them, My time has not yet come, but your time is here always. The world cannot hate you, but it hates me because I testify of it that its works are evil. Go to the feast yourselves. I am not going up to the feast, for my time has not yet fully come. So saying, he remained in Galilee. But after his brothers had gone up to the feast, then he also went up, not publicly, but in private. So we see here, the appearance of the Feast of Tabernacles, the Feast of Booths, the Feast of Sukkot. In the New Testament, it's as one of the pilgrimage feasts when the Jews had to go up to Jerusalem. And we see that the Catholic liturgy from today uh, consciously is a recapitulation also of that Jewish high holiday, of the Feast of, uh, excuse me, the holiday of Sukkot, the Feast of Sukkot, because remember the uh, reading from Leviticus that I read at the beginning of the show announced the requirement in the Old Testament for the Jews to observe Yom Kippur, the tenth day of the seventh month. Now the uh, Feast of Booths begins on the fifteenth day of the seventh month, five days later, and the second Old Testament reading in today's Catholic liturgy is from Leviticus, and it's the following from Leviticus 23. In those days the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, From the fifteenth day of the seventh month, when you shall have gathered in all the fruits of your land, you shall celebrate the feast of the Lord seven days. On the first day and the eighth shall be a Sabbath, that is, a day of rest. And you shall take to you on the first day the fruits of the fairest tree and the branches of palm trees and boughs of thick trees and willows of the brook, and you shall rejoice before the Lord your God, and you shall keep the solemnity thereof seven days in the year. It shall be an everlasting ordinance in your generations. In the seventh day you shall celebrate this feast. So we see that you could say without too much of a stretch 
that even the Catholic Church is celebrating this feast as the heir to Judaism. It is obediently celebrating, albeit in a transformed manner, the the celebration of Yom Kippur, the commandment to celebrate Yom Kippur, and the commandment to celebrate Sukkot. And we have Amber Week. Sukkot lasts a week, and Amber Week lasts a week. So we have, again, we have the echo of Judaism in the Catholic Church. Now, I have gotten perilously close to the end of my hour. So um, I'm going to go back to the central prayer of Yom Kippur, the Al-Chet, with a few comments, and then I will close the show by, again, uh, uh, playing that beautiful prayer. Maybe I'll start it over from the beginning and uh, play it through so you can see the, the beautiful, heartfelt plea of the, uh, the rabbi singing this prayer for the forgiveness of the sins of the Jewish people. But before I do so, let me just make a statement of thanksgiving, actually, for the gift of the Catholic Church, for all of the gifts of the Catholic Church, for the gifts of her teaching, for the gifts of her teaching authority, for the gift of the Eucharist, you don't get a bigger gift than that, for the gift of all of the sacraments, but right now for the gift of the sacrament of confession. Because you will hear in this prayer the heartfelt plea that the um, uh, actually Cantor's sins be forgiven. He's pleading on behalf of the entire congregation. Um, you may notice in the text it's for the sin we have committed, for the sin we have committed, because it's a it's a corporate prayer for the forgiveness of the sins of the entire community. But compare that plea with the infinite gift we have in the sacrament of confession. When we can go to the priest, when we can confess not a shopping list of every possible sin, but actually the sins that we've actually committed, the sins that we're actually sorry for, the sins that we want the grace of God to be strengthened against so we don't commit them again, the sins that we want absolution from God for, and the best part is yet to come, when the priest gives us absolution, we don't only hope that they're forgiven, we know that they're forgiven. What an infinite gift compared to the thirst and hunger and and desperate plea for forgiveness, which uh, members of religions who do not have the sacrament of confession, uh, the valid sacrament of confession, have to resort to. So I don't want to go through this little talk about Yom Kippur and the Al-Chet prayer without a little prayer of thanksgiving for the ultimate gift for the forgiveness of sins which we have in the Catholic Church. So, um, I will simply, um, I'll, I'll just read like one stanza of this, uh, um, uh, I'll read the last stanza of the prayer and then I'll go back to the uh, music and with that we'll be fading out of the show. Uh, and for the sins which we are obligated, and for the sins for which we are obligated to bring a burnt offering, and for the sins for which we are obligated to bring a sin offering, and for the sins for which we are obligated to bring a varying offering according to one's means, 
and for the sins for which we are obligated to bring a guilt offering, for a certain or doubtful trespass, and for the sins for which we incur the penalty of lashing, and for the sins for which we incur the penalty of forty lashes, and for the sins for which we incur the penalty of death by the hand of heaven, and for the sins for which we incur the penalty of excision and childlessness, and for the sins for which we incur the penalty of the four forms of capital punishment executed by the court, stoning, burning, decapitation, and strangulation, for transgressing positive and negative commands, whether these commands can be rectified by a prescribed act or not, um, and those of which we are not aware, the hidden things belong to the Lord our God, but the revealed things are for us and for our children forever, that we may carry out the words of this Torah, for all these, God of pardon, pardon us, forgive us, atone for us. And with that, I will go back to the chant of the Al-Khet, and uh, thank you for listening. You've been listening to Jesus, the Promised Messiah of Judaism on Radio Maria with me, your host, Roy Shoman. Please join us again next week, same time, same place. And now back to the Al-Khet.